This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki in New Plymouth, thanks to New Zealand On Air. For more local content, search for accessradiotaranaki.com. been thinking about how to present this slice of history because some of us are part of history and some of us make history. Because dairying in New Zealand started in Taranaki with Chu Chong, who established a dairy factory in Neltham and it grew from there. Innovative directors such as Morris Roberts' story must be told. Well, my guest today is 90-year-old Morris, Morris Roberts, CBE. And Morris is going to give us his recollections of the formation of the Dairy Cooperative Dairy Company. Good morning, Morris. But firstly, how did you become, at 28, a director of the T.L. Joel Cooperative Dairy Company? Well, um, uh, first of all, I... It wasn't my intention. I never had any intention of becoming a, a dairy company director in, in those early days. Um, but um, I think I was about 26 or 27, and we had a group meeting at uh, Okayawa uh, to form uh, a, um, a tanker collection group. And um, the directors of the dairy companies in those days they wouldn't um, take responsibility for tanker collection. Uh, the farmer had to have be part of a group. They would provide the the finance. You had to sign a, a joint and several and take respons financial responsibility if things went wrong. So we had to get something like about 600 kilograms of milk fat. I'm sorry, 600 kilograms of butter fat in those days, which would have been about 20 farmers supplying about, uh, or roughly, you know, there were small farms too in those days. So you'd want probably more than that, probably 25 farmers uh, supplying, um, um, supply to get a tanker operating. And we had several meetings and then they decided to have a formal meeting and see if we couldn't get a resolution. And I was asked to take the chair, only because um, I'd been involved in federal and young farmers, and um, and I I suppose I knew how to chair a meeting because <laughs> I'd been chairman of the Hara Hara Young Farmers. Uh, so that's how I got involved. And then the following year, we it was successful. It ran successfully for the first year for a penny a pound milk fat, I'm sorry, butter fat, and then um, two other um, uh, branches of the company asked me to go up there and set up a, um, a milk collection group, which I did at Tanutu and Mangawira Road, and um, later on one of the directors retired about five years, four or five years later, and I became a, uh, they asked me to stand for the board which uh, uh, I know my parents weren't that happy about it, but anyhow, I gave it a go, uh, and that's how I got involved in the dairy industry at a young age, because most of them were, you know, waiting to retire, semi-retired farmers, when they had a bit of time to give the 
to give to the company, but uh, we used to have one or two meetings a month, and I think we got paid principally some of about two pound a meeting. <laughs> oh, those were the days, weren't they? But I'm just interested when you say that and emphasise that to those days directors had a real hands-on life experience of what they were administrating, weren't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah they they knew all about yields and uh, that was the, um, uh, the yields and costs and yeah, they did. They virtually the directors sort of um, had a big say in the running of the company, mm. I suppose. You know, how far back do you go, Morris, as to what sort of uh, pioneering did you do with dairy industry? Because, as I said before we started, my father milked cows before he went to school, but you weren't in that brigade. But, no, no. Uh, but that's where it started. That's my right, idea. Yeah. No, well, uh, we, we were in sheep, and we had uh, the main farm was about 250 acres, and uh, we had two other farms around about 100 acres, and that was family, my father and his brother, who wasn't married. And uh, so I took over one of those farms, converted to dairying. That was about 1953 or four. Right. And um, made all the concrete posts for the property um, by hand and uh, twisted number eight wire, <laughs> that sort of thing. And... Um, we set it up pretty well. It was a walk-through shed, but we later converted it to a herringbone. And we just um, cut the pipework out and um, put in the herringbone, dug the pit, and put in the, um, the walk-in. It was quite simple to do to a lot of those sheds. Uh, of course, that advanced later on as a rotary, but that was quite a bit later. Yeah because the herds were getting bigger then, weren't they? That's right. Farms were amalgamating. But you've got to remember that uh, back in those days, you couldn't buy the farm next door if you had an economic unit. Uh, you had to form a, I think it was a 10-man company oh. to do that. And, uh, of course, you had a lot of other restrictions too, like uh, the 40-mile limit. Um, you couldn't cut any produce more than 40 miles and uh, that restricted the dairy companies too uh, they um, had to send everything by train uh, to Partia uh, the produce all the butter and cheese and everything went by train um, you could cart it um, to the train but very few train tram, train lines weren't uh, Within 40 miles, no. of, within 40 miles of a uh, of a, a factory in those days. Now you mentioned taking the produce to part here. Was the port working then? Yeah, it was working then. Yeah. And the port in New Plymouth was working also, and they had a cool store up at New Plymouth. But uh, uh, when I uh, became a director. Uh, party was just about ready to be phased out. Ah, yeah. Yeah. 
because I just had a chat with somebody else about this the other day, why don't we use more coastal shipping, but that's got a lot of restrictions too, yeah, hasn't it? it? it was pretty difficult yeah. operation down there, my understanding was, yeah. Well, getting back to life on the farm, what were some of the uh, handbrakes on farming? Because I know I did a lot of, ra- sprayed a lot of ragwort, there wasn't anything to kill it, all we used was sodium and lime. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't have the sprays and the um, the um, things that we have today. No. So, uh, sort of uh, looking at education, I remember studying McMeekin at school. He wrote a book about farming and uh, trousers to milk. I remember yeah, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there was. A, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with the bloke, bloke that taught me at high school was a fellow Morrison. And what's oh, yeah. significant about yeah. Morrison was he won the Melbourne Cup one year, didn't he? Oh, I'm not too sure about that. I know he Morrison. won because he gave us a lecture one day. He oh, said, yeah. yeah oh, you? look, uh, that could be great. Don't yeah. you kids t- yeah. get on to me about money? He yeah. said, when you are a winner like I did... He said, you should have seen and heard all the sob mail I got. I'm <laughs> broke. Can you lend me some money? Can you help me buy things? And it was an education to me yeah. that <laughs> while he might have won a pile of money, it wasn't a life of luxury. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, I remember we had um, a number of very long and serious droughts in those days and uh, we used to put our cows out on the road to clean the road up all the fern and everything and, yeah. and on the road my neighbour he uh, he was looking after his cows at one end and I think his wife was on the other <laughs> end and uh, my uh, the bloke who worked for me he went down and, and joined this chap so they kept the cows apart <laughs> and the guy down there was reading McMeekin's book, Grass to Milk in the Drought. <laughs> and, uh, certainly there were long droughts in those days. They were, weren't they? And we didn't have the gear that we've got now. That's right, we didn't know how to farm them at all. So what was the uh, most popular breed of cow at that time, Mike? Jersey. Yeah, the Jersey was definitely, in South Taranaki, the most popular breed. Right, now, what about uh, dairy companies at that stage? They would have been in their infancy and because uh, there was a yeah. factory about every three mile, wasn't it? That's most? right. Well, there were two main factories in South Taranaki, Kaupokanui Company and the T.L. Joel Cooperative Dairy Company. Uh, they both had about uh, six to eight branches. Uh, and they talked about amalgamation on numerous occasions. And in 1961, uh, I became a director of the T.L. Joel Company. And uh, the following year, they reached an agreement with Kaupokanui to merge. And um, that's how the first merger came about. Ernie Scott was the chairman of the... Um, the um, Joel Company and Hardy Benton was the chairman of the K 
Kapok can only dairy company. So what was the average size of the herd because all of a sudden I take it that dairying was paying more or was it easier or what drove people to uh, move Well, cows? it was certainly the poor relation of the sheep farm yeah. uh, in those days, uh, but that soon changed after after the war boom. Yeah. It changed right around. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Anyhow, regarding that uh, that merger, we soon found that uh, we just couldn't duplicate uh, all the machinery and the technology that was developing then uh, into each branch. So that's how we came up with the idea uh, when Kiwi was formed uh, to um, uh, centralise the operations yeah. somewhere in South Taranaki. Right, and you were instrumental in a lot of that, Morris? Yeah, I had quite a bit to do with it. We, um, we, um, I was deputy chairman to Hardy Bentham, and uh, 1968, uh, before then, about 1967, I went on to the Joel board in 1961, about 1960. Seven, we bought some land from the Kavner brothers, Manawapo Road, very close to Hara. It was um, close to uh, it was a it was really the only decent block of land that didn't have a creek or didn't have some fault. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I negotiated. I knew the Kavners well, and I was asked to negotiate uh, the sale of that and um, the purchase of it and uh, we bought 40 acres 45 acres with the option of another 10 and um, we had that ground tested which proved to have very good foundations and we were close to water supply in those days we had to get rid of our effluent but that went out to sea but that's all been modernized it was all modernized quite quickly and um, uh, in 1973, we put the first lot of milk through uh, Kiwi. Oh, through the factory. Through that yep. factory. So that the, the reason uh, most of the cheese factories in those days were 800 ton, uh, we felt that if we built a 10,000 ton factory, yep. uh, we'd be able to beat the average payment uh, I know we weren't very popular with the dairy board at the time and uh, we found it very hard to get money through the dairy board uh, they had um, ways and means of obtaining finance which was very hard to get in those days a million dollars was unheard of for yeah. a company to borrow a million dollars so fortunately when we merged we took the decision to join the CBA and um, uh, they were only a small company in Hara and uh, but they eventually found the money and we got it underway. Uh, we had the option of uh, having a floating loan at 3% for 20 years or a, um, um, a fixed loan 
at seven and a quarter percent. So fortunately, we took the seven and a quarter percent, and um, what often happens, interest rates go up, and it didn't take long before we had the highest payout, in spite of a twenty million dollar debt. Some of it was um, uh, we obtained money later on uh, from the dairy board for a powder and butter factory and uh, also for a brine salted factory and um, we later borrowed just from the bank and um, um, uh, the 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 averaging system in those days um, what they did they they averaged the cost of all the labour, the salt, the packaging and everything of each product, say for cheese. And then they paid every company that average price. So if you could beat the average, yep. you had a very good payout above the average right. or above another company. Yeah. And um, um, once we got that 10,000 tonne factory going, which quickly went up to about 20 and even 30,000, uh, our payout was well ahead of a lot of smaller cheese yeah. companies and they, they more or less fell into line and merged with, with Kiwi Can you in, tell in Taranaki. Yeah, just explain to the listeners, Morris, that you've got the factory established, but there were still factories, what, North Taranaki, South Taranaki, that weren't buying a penny yeah, of yeah. it and uh, yeah. well, we, caused a bit of angst. That's right. We had the South Taranaki one was not not all companies in South Taranaki uh, down Waverley and um, quite a few of them Riverdale didn't merge immediately uh, they delayed their merger for good reasons um, and um, uh, then we had the Taranaki company they also about that same time merged yeah. a number of companies up there but. When we when we got ahead in the payout, even though Taranaki Dairy Company payout would have been quite good in the Waikato, for right, example, yeah. uh, it wasn't good in Taranaki, and their suppliers got a little bit uh, concerned about it and where they were heading. And uh, so I was chairman then, and um, we agreed in 1980 to merge in 1983. In the meantime, we tripled the capacity of the site right. down at Horaro, yeah. and um, we merged uh, quite successfully in '83. And we had all the Taranaki milk and all the South Taranaki milk yeah. on the one site. Yeah. And what were some of the other companies around New Zealand? Had they got to that stage? Well, uh, the coastal area. And that was Egmont Dairy Company and Okato and Pungarahu and those companies. They they merged, um, but later merged with the Moanui Dairy Company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you had um, at later on um, in by the nineteen you had uh, the Kiwi Company in Central and South Taranaki and Moanui in North Taranaki. Oh, yep. And that merger took place in 1993, I think, 92 and 93, 
and uh, it became one company in Taranaki and all the milk was processed yeah. on the, the Kiwi side. We also had to build two powder factories. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we decided to build one um, because of our own circumstances yeah. and lack of capacity. And, uh, and But Maunui at a later stage made up their minds to come in. So we had to quickly uh, get a, another factory built so we didn't lose our efficiency yeah. to keep all the milk on the one side. So that went up in about eight months, that factory. <laughs> and... Um, and that was a $130 million uh, yeah. uh, exercise. And um, so that's yeah. how that was, came about. Was it easier to get money for that operation? Was? It was a lot easier yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. So things got relaxed over monetary situation that's and right. obligations. Yeah. I mean, that's really something. What about... Uh, some of the other interesting things that happened in that time because I can recall every year you had a shareholders day down here at Waira and you always used to have a number of great speakers down there telling us about the industry. Yeah, that, that was. <clears throat> on the early days, uh, uh, during, once Kiwi got going, I just, uh, I did have the, the figures uh, somewhere here. We, um, here we are, in 1968-69, we had 733 suppliers, and they supplied 10 million, um, that would be uh, 10 million pounds of butterfat. Um, in 1978, we were down to 606 suppliers. And eight million, and um, dairying was becoming a bit unpopular, and people were going into rearing uh, dairy beef yeah. cattle. And um, they um, Kiwi did introduce a we introduced a ten cent incentive for new suppliers That's right. uh, for yeah. one for one year, I think it was, and. Um, I know it wasn't popular with the other suppliers, the existing suppliers, but we were able to prove to them that for every kilo, pound of butterfat we got from a new supplier, there was a profit of one dollar, and uh, that profit was spread over the whole company. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't diminishing the payout; it was actually improving it. So they accepted that and. Uh, Later on, we um, shareholding was a bit of a shambles. Every annual meeting, you had to go around, and farmers would never uh, would never. Um, there was no regulation uh, regarding shareholding of how many shares you had to have. Companies were a bit lax, and if you got a new supplier, they'd just take them in. They didn't yeah. worry about shares. So we got rid of shares totally, and we gave every shot every shareholder a one one dollar share and Kiwi until we merged with Moanui and that was getting towards the uh, the sort of deregulation the dairy board was talking about um, government deregulation um, 
that uh, more or less forced the industry into one company that um, that uh, that we that we left that one dollar share. Oh yeah, yeah. So when did it go to what it is now? When uh, shareholders had to have X number of shares to belong to? Well, it's Frontier now, but uh, well, that came in when they Kiwi. I wasn't on the board then, but they merged with um, first of all Northland. Yeah. And then they merged with um, Tui. Yeah. In the Palmerston North area, and Manawatu, and um, so yeah, I wasn't involved in that. No, but, um, no. Yeah, we did. But you must have been interested. When we moved with Moa, we did uh, introduce shareholding again. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Well, that was the first one, but it was a very minor shareholding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, later on, um, um, when they formed Fonterra, of course, they developed the trading amongst farmers later on, and yeah. shareholding has altered over the capital structures, altered over the years. Yeah, that's very interesting. Now, we've got about three minutes left. What were some of the funnier things that happened during that time when you were chair of Kiwi Morris you had those days down there when you had suppliers coming and you were going to get Longy and he didn't come along so you got oh, <laughs> yeah well uh, we used to have a suppliers day on the first Friday of every in July and um, uh, on this occasion they built up gradually I think the shareholders uh, enjoyed them uh, all the shareholders, their wives and staff members, uh, share milkers, factory staff, employees and managers and co all got together yep. on the Kiwi site down there and we used to clean one of the large buildings out. Uh, we provided them uh, afternoon tea and a few beers and things, mm. refreshments and um, they really enjoyed those days yeah. of getting together, meeting each other, and uh, um, uh, they still miss those, uh, I hear, even today. Oh, yes. And, uh, but uh, uh, when we, the, the, last, uh, the last merger was when we built the factory with Moanui, when Moanui came in, we'd finished, and oh, no, I'm sorry, yes, that's right, Moanui, and it was a $130 million program, and we thought it was well worthwhile having the Prime Minister there. Yeah. Um, we wrote to Longy, Longy had just come into power and, and um, for the Labour government, and um, he said no, he couldn't do it, he's too busy. So I mentioned it to Jim Graham, and uh, I said, look, uh, we can, we'll go and approach Muldoon. And he said, oh, no, you can't do that. He said, I'll, I'm seeing Longy very shortly. He said, I'll ask him. And uh, so anyhow, he asked Longy, and Longy wrote back to us and said, can't you guys read the first time? <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, uh, Frank Goldsworthy and I hopped in the car, uh, and uh, we went down and uh, we saw... Um, uh, 
Uh, no, it wasn't the Manganui merger. It was the one before that, a major expansion. But anyhow, um, uh, he said no. He'd, he'd uh, uh, Muldoon. He said no, no. I'd be very pleased to come. Well, of course, so many people arrived at the turnout that uh, we couldn't um, we couldn't get them onto the site, and their cars parked, and we had a delay. And I'd never really sat down and had a talk to Muldoon prior to that, but uh, I was sort of sitting in the office up, up in Hara, and uh, so. But I found him a really great old guy to talk to, yeah. and, and um, he had a lot of. Uh, fun in him and uh, talk about anything and uh, I would never have had any problem getting on with him I don't think right. if I'd have been one of his caucus members <laughs> yeah well that was a great interview Morris Roberts CBE thank you for your time have a Merry Christmas and yeah. we well, may do it again next year we don't well, know same, same to you I, I thought I was getting a bit old too do interviews and things uh, um, but anyhow uh, we've done it and you've been persistent and uh, and wanting one so uh, thanks very much for the no, opportunity no it was a pleasure more listen next week when I bring you the story of Groundswell coordinator Bryce McKenzie This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com.